machine. Dear listeners, what in the name of storytelling is going on in the attic? Sorry I'm bothering you with this, but Tim is not here, and neither is the marble machine. I just woke up after a nap, and now they're gone. Also, the shelves with the bottled ideas are gone. In fact, everything that ever was here, the attic, is completely and utterly empty. Not only that, the whole place somehow feels different. Listeners, I'm sorry, but I can't focus right now. This is very odd indeed. Luckily, the marble machine left me with the two broken pieces of the marble I dropped. So, I will just let you all listen to the second part while I try and figure out what's going on here. Here we go. Have fun. Can you pass me a cigarette? Pia asked Max just before they entered the forest. Sure. Uh, and your lighter? Are you trying to make Squid's vision come true? Max joked and handed her his Zippo. The opposite, Pia said. I'm going to prove him wrong. She lit the cigarette and then flung the Zippo into the bushes. Hey, what the hell was that for? I like that Zippo. Now you won't be able to use it to burn anything. Well, she's got a point, Bougie said. <sighs> it's just a Zippo, Max said. Can we go now? Nima's hideaway was about a two-hour walk from where they had entered the forest. On the southern side of the lake, where the robbers had assaulted their victims, there was a little pond that lay separated from the main lake. It was surrounded by an eerie-looking rock formation, and a stream trickled down from the plateau on top of the rocks, creating a miniature waterfall. If you're up on that rock where the water's coming down, you can jump in. Is it deep enough? Max asked, and took his shirt and pants off and started climbing. Sure. Show off, Bougie said when Max came back out of the water after successfully backflipping the little cliff. The plan was to get to the hideout first and set up the tents before it got dark. But Max insisted that they had to come back to the pond for a midnight swim. Nima led the way and the others followed her deeper into the forest. Everything was playing out just the way the puppet master had shown Squid. Usually, the puppet master would give him a few pieces of a puzzle and a list of rules that he had to follow for a certain future to manifest itself. The puzzle pieces were blurry at first, until finally, when their time and place came to appear in the real world, Squid could see the finished puzzle crystal clear. It wasn't finished yet, but he had a rough idea of where it might be going. Sometimes Squid doubted if there really was a puppet master. These were, of course, preposterous thoughts, because the non-existence of the Puppet Master implied that he himself would be responsible for the outcome of the visions, and thus master of everything that happened in his life, and the lives of those that surrounded him. After such thoughts of blasphemy, Squid would spend days and nights apologizing to the Puppet Master, begging him for forgiveness, and that he would not punish him by bringing about an undesirable future. Paradoxically, this mindset of total subjugation to the puppet master justified and explained any form of suffering in his life. Being beaten by Marky was simply a fate he had brought upon himself by upsetting the puppet master at some point in the past. Squid distracted himself by listening to Bougie, who was constantly trying to make an impression on Nima by showing off how much he knew about forests and robbers. Has anyone here read Schiller? Uh, wasn't he a German poet or something? 
Nima asked. Yes, yes, he was. And a playwright. I read up on him after I was done with Mr. Rooney's reading assignment. He wrote a play called The Robbers. It kind of reminds me of us. The robbers in the play, they lived in a forest, too. Is that what the play is about? Squid asked. No, well, partly. It's about two brothers, both the sons of the old Count of Moor. One becomes the head of a gang of robbers. And the other? Max asked. Well, he... I think he just wants power. He doesn't care about religion and morals and stuff, and tries to kill his own father and brother to become the Count. What the hell's that got to do with us? Bougie shrugged his shoulders. Well, just the part that there's a gang of robbers hanging out in the woods by a fire, I guess? And that we are going into the woods and... That we're going to make a fire, Max agreed. We should definitely do that so that we can roast the corn and the marshmallows. I think it's uh, more likely that we meet real robbers tonight than it is for Squid's vision to come true, Pia weighed in. We're here, Nima said and headed into the bushes. There was a little handmade clearing in the branch work. Nima had invested many hours cutting the branches with her knife and removing parts from the ground to create her little hideaway. She had a tent, a sleeping bag, a cooking pot, and some other stuff neatly stored in a hole she dug by the roots of a big tree. And then she had covered them all up with leaves. I can't believe you actually live here, Pia said, genuinely impressed. Well, I live with my foster parents, but whenever I argue with them, I stay here. Been here for the last few nights. Aren't they worried? Max asked. Sometimes. You have a knife? You live in the woods? You're like a real robber, Bougie said. Maybe she robbed the couple from the newspapers, Max teased. Maybe I did. How'd you know I have a knife? Well, everyone at school thinks you do. Big difference what people think and what's actually true. So you don't have a knife? Nima went over to her stuff and threw a big camouflage rucksack in front of his feet. Front pocket. Whoa, that's a sword! Bougie said, pulling out the knife. Did you know that the oldest single-edged metal knife ever found was made 4,000 years ago? Dude, you're such a nerd, Max said. Let me see that. Nima was already finished with her tent and arranging stones and setting up a fireplace, while the others still struggled to get the poles in the tent flaps. Max came over to help Nima with the fireplace. Pretty impressive, I mean, that you live here all by yourself, Max said and contributed a rock to the fireplace guess we need some firewood now. We do. Should we go together? Don't you want to help the others? I doubt they'll get very far with Mr. Encyclopedia over there. Bougie was giving Squid and Pia a lecture on how bands of robbers would frequently attack European trade routes in the 18th century. Guys, are you good with the tent? Oh, we'll manage, Bougie said. Well then, I'll go get some firewood with Nima. Uh, how about I'll help with the firewood? Pia suggested, just a little too quick. I really have no idea about tents, but I'll go with the hermit lady. This way, Barbie girl. Nima and Pia gathered enough firewood to last for the night. They just wanted to return to the camp when Pia saw a stick leaning against a tree. Its sharpened point had been burnt. Yours? Uh, no. That means someone else must have come through here, right? Probably. Didn't you say you would have noticed that? You're thinking it was the robbers? Well, who knows? 
If I had to guess, someone used the stick to cook something. And that someone might still be here in the forest, Pia added. Uh, maybe. Uh, hiding somewhere waiting for us to go to sleep. That's just silly. Says the girl who lives in the forest and has a friend that thinks he can predict the future. Back by the camp, the girls told the others what they had found. Everyone agreed that if they were to stay in the forest, they had to find a way of protecting themselves. Buji waited strategically, and when no one came up with a plan, he presented his idea. Apparently, it pays off to have read what Mr. Rooney assigned, he said, and gave Max a condescending look. What did real robbers do to protect themselves? Huh? I'll tell you. They built booby traps around their layers. Bougie gave them a detailed description of how robbers would build ditches, which were then covered with leaves and branches. In the bottom of these pits, sharpened sticks speared anyone who fell into the trap alive. A bit extreme, Pia said. And not enough time, Max agreed. But Bougie's right. If the burn stick really means that there are robbers here, we should do something. The trap they came up with consisted of a rope that Nima had kept in her backpack and a rock twice the size of a human head. They tied the rope around the rock like a fishing net, and with some effort, Bougie and Max carried it up a tree right next to the tents. There they tied the rope around two strong branches so that the construction looked a bit like a seesaw swing. All one had to do was sit up on the branch with the rock and let it go, and it would swing down like a huge pendulum. They used a piece of wood with a watermelon on top as a dummy and stood it upright like a stick figure. The dummy stood where the rock swung at its lowest point of the swinging curve. Max gave the booby trap a test run and took the head clean off their crash test dummy. Whoa! Max shouted. One robber down! They marked the spot where the rock would hit a potential robber with two crossed sticks. We're gonna need two night watches if this is supposed to work, Mima said. One on the tree and one as bait on the ground who lures the robber into position. Well, what if there's more than one robber? Pia asked. What if there's a whole gang? The papers didn't mention a gang. Well, that's because they don't know, do they? No robbers have been caught yet. I think it's unlikely that there's more than two. Maybe three. Yeah. Nima pulled out her knife and whacked it into a nearby tree stump. The watch on the ground gets the knife just in case. And if someone comes, the ground watch wakes everybody else. Well, if we knock one out with the rock, the others will run away anyway, Max said. Especially if they see that we have a knife. They'll think twice about picking a fight. They might not if they see that we're kids. Max doesn't look like a kid, Squid said. We'll definitely scare them off. With that out of the way, they started to get a fire going. After the wood was piled up, Nima lit it with a bottle of gasoline she had kept in her backpack. Squid watched as the flames shot high up into the air. Minutes later, they were roasting corn and marshmallows and getting cozy by the crackling fire. Everyone had their own little stick to barbecue the marshmallows with, and soon they were all eating, getting drunk, and enjoying the warm summer night. Two brothers, Bougie began retelling Schiller again, while Nima rolled a joint, one charismatic and loved by his father, the other smart and cunning but hated by everyone. The first swears to change the corrupt system and becomes head of a band of robbers. The other plots to destroy his brother's life and wants to become the new count. Throughout the play, this brother, Franz, sees religion as something ridiculously superstitious that just gets in the way of men's goals. But in the end, he asks everyone to pray for him when he realizes that his brother is coming to kill him. Sounds like that Franz guy is an asshole. Maybe. 
but when I read the play, it felt like he was just very aware of, you know, his place in the world. And he knew that no one was ever going to give him anything for free. Still, an egoistic, cowardly asshole. I mean, he doesn't believe in religion until he's about to die, and then he's still all selfish and scared and wants people to pray for him so that he'll be safe in the afterlife. I agree with Max. Yeah, everyone's always scared of death, Max weighed in. Like in every story, I don't get it. Because everyone is scared of death, Bougie said. I'm not. As if. Not really. I mean, we all die, right? Why be scared? Why not be... Fascinated, Nima suggested. I agree. No need to be scared of something you don't know. That's the whole point of being scared of something, Pia said. Because you don't know it. But then what if you're scared of something that's actually harmless or even good for you? Like, I mean, to be scared of someone about to torture you makes sense because you know that's going to be awful and painful. But it's stupid to be scared by a place that you've never been to before. Because it might be the most wonderful place ever, right? I had a thought once. Squid spoke suddenly. It was while watching my grandmother die. Um, it was not my thought. It was put in my head. You know, like the vision. A thought about what? About death? In Squid's thought, death led to the exact same place that we came from before we were born. Therefore, life is but a journey, a sort of round trip that we booked. But the further away from birth that we travel, the more we forget about our origin, and therefore death becomes something we fear more the older we get. Our knowledge of what was before life is still very present and clear when we're babies and children, and so we naturally go about life more carelessly and without fear of losing it. Life, in Squid's thought, was but a swim in a river, and all we are scared of is simply getting back out to the riverbank. As I said, it wasn't my thought. I don't even understand it. I'm, I'm very, very scared of death. Did you guys hear that? Max asked. What? Uh, maybe nothing. I thought I heard something. Probably just a squirrel or, or a rabbit. The last hour of daylight passed as they sat together by the fire. As the night settled in, they played drinking games and smoked more joints. About an hour in, Bougie proclaimed that they were now a gang and needed a name and that the robbers seemed to be the most fitting one. How is it in a gang of robbers? Pia asked. For sure there must be a leader, right? Yeah, we need a leader, Max said. Sure, Bougie said. In Schiller's play, there was Carl. He was sort of like the lord from a wealthier aristocratic family, but also the leader of the robbers. Well, since I'm the only guy here who ever won a fist fight, I guess that makes me the best candidate to be the lord of the robbers, Max said and waved his marshmallow spear. I know most about the robbers, Bougie said, and I named the gang, so it's a fair argument that I should be. You named the gang, but I named you, Max interrupted. You're Professor Bougie, the wax candle. You can't have two titles. Hey, robber lord, who says that you're the only one who ever won a fight here? I said I'm the only guy. I'm sure you've been in fights before, so I guess that makes you queen of the robbers. Is that alright with you, my queen? Nima got up and curtsied, and Max bowed. I think it's time we come up with a new game, my queen. What do you suggest? I will let the robbers decide. They played a mix of spin the bottle and truth or dare. The bottle pointed at Nima first. Tell us what really happened to your father, Max asked. Nima's face became a fortress. 
She took her beer bottle and drank it empty, as was the rule for not answering the question. Okay, um, next, Max said and spun the bottle. Truth, Squid said and drank a sip of beer for not choosing dare. Okay, tell us a secret about yourself. Squid hesitated. I, I, I can thought of change what's going to happen in the future. Sometime. <laughs> what a freak. Pia said. What do you mean? Nima asked. Sometimes a vision shows me two or more versions of what might happen. Then sometimes things will only happen if I behave a certain way. But it's not me who's really in charge of changing the future. It's, well, I mean, it's already decided, you know. But sometimes I have a say in how, how, how to get there. Get where? Was the future. Bullshit. I, I can prove it. Oh yeah, how? The vision about the forest had different possibilities. So one had me volunteering to be on the first watch and the other didn't. One had me convincing you to put out the fire for the night. In the other, the fire keeps burning. Bougie and me are doing the first watch, Max said. Decided by the Lord of the Robbers in this very moment. See? I can change the future, too. So, like, for tonight, depending on what decisions I make, one future leads to that feeling of friendship and inseparable bondage between us. The other doesn't. Well, that sounds super vague, Bougie said. Or just super creepy, Pia said. I won't let it count, Max, the Lord of Robbers, said. That was just a story, not a secret. I mean, if it were true, it would be a pretty good secret, I admit. But since you have no way of proving your powers, you have to drink your whole bottle. Bottoms up. Squid did, and let out a long burp, and then said, Because of the decisions I made tonight, none of us will die. Would someone tell him just to stop it with the creepy vibes? Pia said, No wonder you got kicked out from your last school. You scare the shit out of me. You are a little weird, Robber Squid, Max said. But I like you. Let's find out if you're for real, Bougie said. Hmm? Change the future. Go ahead. Make a decision that someone dies. I dare you. Leave him, Bougie, Nima said. Squid, it's your turn. Spin the bottle. Welcome back, listeners. Well, the story is definitely exciting, but I'm afraid I could use something a little calm and relaxing for a change. There's too much drama here in the attic already. I'm still alone and have no clue. I do remember the reason I went to sleep. I was complaining of a headache, and the marble machine told Tim to mix together a few ingredients for some sort of a sleep remedy that would help me. Anyway, listeners, thanks for staying tuned, and do drop a like or a follow, and become a patron of the podcast on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash themarblemachine. Until then, listeners, oh, and uh, as always, uh, the next marble will drop. <laughs>